Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 179th edition. Can't believe it, 179 of uh, Frank and Stan chat. And those watching on video will notice that we've got two guests with us who have been on the uh, chat before. So that's Alan Davis and uh, Bryn Llewellyn. Hello, both of you. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Pretty yeah. good, thank you. Nice to see that your appearance in October 22 didn't end your professional careers and that you're still... <laughs> Very uh, nearly. <laughs> uh, we'll come to you in a minute just about give us an update on what you've been doing. So, Stan, how are you this week? Good. Um, I know it's unusual to say I'm fighting fit and everything seems fine. No coughs, no colds. A, um, a good week. So, uh, yeah, should mention it's St. David's Day today. So, hence the daffodils, I assume. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to bring a leak, but nah. <laughs> a man of your age, that's probably not a good thing to talk about that. Um, right. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, as I say, it was October 22 when you were last on, gents. So, I mean, it'd probably be useful just to give you a little bit of time to tell us, you know, what have you been doing since then? And and you were on, I think, primarily because you were heavily involved in a book called Move and Learn and uh, and that sort of work around that. Uh, or learn and move. I can't remember whether it, whether, which way around it is. Which way around is it, Bryn? It is move and learn, but actually, yeah. does it matter? It could uh, well, be that's probably the nature of it, isn't it? Anyway, should we go to uh, go to you first, Bryn? So, uh, what have you been doing since October twenty-two? Well, it's it's good that you mentioned the book because actually, your review on Schools Week, I think, was the catalyst to maybe like three extra sales. <laughs> no, it, it was very kind of you to take time to read the book and actually review the book it was it was much appreciated especially, especially coming from someone with your background who knows the school system and knows about the education landscape so thank you for that no that was so, um what has happened since then many many things so i think this week epitomizes what I've been doing since then in terms of um, I spent three days with five different schools down in London and they uh, they brought me in to do work about Tagtivate. So it's linking maths and English and and foundation subjects to TIG or TAG or TAG rugby, depending on their, how sporty you want to be. And it's about taking the learning in those subjects outside into the playground, onto the field or into the hall. But then in amongst that, the the teachers were kind of drawn to the 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 the, the content of move and learn the book, in yeah. terms of like how can we break up sedentary time with simple ideas, um, with no resources uh, or low cost no cost resources, and it was that kind of like so while I was doing that in London with three schools, bonkers, uh, Ian who was the co-author from Move and Learn, yes. he was working up north. Uh, with schools in Rosendale doing the move and learn approaches and uh, more about behavioural change. So my work is between Tagtivate, move and learn and enjoying it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I get to do the best part in terms of working with kids, children, staff and not having to do the stuff that I used to do, that I had to do in terms of all those pupil progress meetings and that leads me on to nicely to Alan in terms of his work is crucial in terms of like developing staff in his part of the world. So, yeah, okay. Uh, Alan, what have you been up to? So, unfortunately, I mean, last time we spoke in October 22, I'd just come out of headship at that point um, and moving into school improvement work. And the intention was that that would free me up to work a little bit more alongside Brynn and do uh, 
more on the active learning. As it's it's not turned out that way, I've been incredibly busy um, working on the skill improvement and, and leadership support down here. Plus, if I'm being honest, taking advantage of the additional time it's given me to to spend time with. We've got a five-year-old, uh, and wow. actually, wow. once it opened up opportunities to spend more time with him, that that sort of uh, overtook it. So, I can't claim to have done a, a massive amount uh, apart from keeping contact with Bryn and keep abreast of of what's been happening there. I say I've been very much tied up in working with school leaders. Uh, but that's been really eye-opening in the last 18 months. Um, and, and as you two will know, the, the privilege of being able to go into lots of different schools and spend time with leaders and really unpick and uncover um, what we need to be doing to support our, our staff at the moment and our school leaders at the moment and to keep them in the in the seat because, unfortunately, many of them are, are taking the decision to step away and that's a, a huge issue. So uh, that's what's been keeping me busy. I mean, what, just a question for me is when I when I go into schools, a number of um, senior leaders, heads predominantly, or CEOs are saying, um, "Well, I, I think I'm sort of running out of steam. Um, is you know, I, I, and I'm too young to to retire. You know, so they go. Is there a world for us outside of leadership? My my response always will try and you know, you know, just refresh yourself. You know, because obviously. I, th- I think you know there's a shortage of heads and you know what you don't want to do is encourage them all to become consultants and and do other stuff you know but but that transition I think just taking time out for themselves is one of the things that they find particularly difficult you know and, and as resources are tightened and senior leadership teams are, are reduced there are fewer people so there's less time for them to feel able to to get out and to you know have a break and and just start to recharge their thinking not just their energy but their thinking about the future absolutely i mean i know that's something sorry sorry something Bryn and i have spoken about before isn't it Bryn? about you know in in many other industries if you've been a leader for five years the the sabbatical opportunities are always there and to take time out to go and do some research and have a break and that's not something we've, we've ever built into our system but I think it's something that would do exactly that, Frank. It would give head teachers that headspace to go away, refresh, do some learning, do some research, but actually then come back firing and, and want to go again, uh, rather than the option that many are taking at the moment, which is just stepping away and many stepping away from the profession completely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my first ever role, having qualified as a teacher, was to cover a person who was uh, um, allowed to take two terms off, to have that two-term sabbatical. Have I ever come across that since? No. <laughs> but would it be welcome? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it would need to be a compulsory sabbatical of, of at least a term because there'll be a lot of people saying, I can't afford to have a term off where, where the school is, what we've got to do. Mm. It'd have to be, you know, well, your five years is up. You have to now take at least a term out and that to be funded. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Because if you ask a head teacher, there's never a right time, is there? No, there's, there's not. never a right time to take a break. There's always something around the corner. Only just after Ofsted. But that's when we'll be doing all our exciting stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's when we're doing the move and learn work. Uh... <laughs> Whoa! When, when Alan and I used to connect in a regular on a regular basis up up in Leeds, and I remember you used to do the um, the the smartwatch and the tracking of your your blood pressure and your heart rate, and it was visible. It was just jumped out, didn't it, in terms of that change between term time, and then you would gradually get into like half term or better still a two week break, and you could see it. It was there in terms of oh. that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and to give people that opportunity to just, like say, freshen up, get some energy back. Because that's mm. what, you know, I'm, I've heard the same messages from you, uh, Frank, that, you know, head teacher said, I've still got another 15, 20 years yeah. to do, and I cannot keep going at this pace. What yeah. do I do? Um, and that is the scary, the scary situation. Yeah. We, we should be able to put something in place to help them. I mean, you're right. We can't just say, go and be educational consultants. That's not a field that we can, you know, keep throwing people into. And, and as think, a result, they're going out of the profession. And also some of them not very good at it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a very different, I mean, for those of us who have successfully, I think, reasonably successfully transitioned, that there are colleagues who are very, you know, just don't have that sort of interpersonal skills with people to draw some of this stuff out. You know, it is not about being the leader anymore, is it? It's also about keeping your learning current as well, Mm. because it's, you know, I I remember when I first became an advisor, the the boss said to me, in this first year, you've got in your pocket some gold dust that's uh, from you being ahead for 10 years, and you can sprinkle that over other heads and use your experience but that gold dust will run out. And in the meantime, you need to refill it with new learning, new thinking, working with other people, et cetera, to keep your, your knowledge and your experience up to date. And I, I don't, I think that's very difficult if you're working on your own. Yeah. yeah, can I, yeah can... I'm quite fortunate in terms of the work that I did with um, schools in Bradford lend itself to working with communities. So mm-hmm. in Bradford, the same as like, you know, Burnley, Preston, Blackburn, with a, um, a a varied uh population and I, so we were commissioned to work with madrasas so the children in Bradford a lot of them would go to school where they'd be sitting down then they'd quickly go home for some food then they go to madrasa for an hour and a half and they'd be sitting down mm-hmm. we were like commissioned to uh, work with community engagement officers or leaders within those madrasa settings to break up the sitting down time so they could learn arabic the quran in maybe a, a a not so traditional way and since then we've been welcomed across to work with uh together an active future in lancashire and again it's working with those community leaders and i'm learning all the time from that thing like whoa it, it's a combination of like fear and curiosity mm. but by yeah. working with adults or people who aren't necessarily teachers or school leaders it's fascinating mm. just to see a different mindset a different way of working yeah can yeah. i can i i mean before we get on to what's called all right because i was in a school yesterday and we we're talking to a head teacher and uh we would i had this I, I suppose i'm biased towards what i'm going to say now so, all right so i'm going to be very clear uh about this that there is a I was saying that sometimes, you know, uh, having consultants or advisors um, coming into your school for a, a long period of time, actually, I think is counterproductive. I, I feel as a, as a consultant that I, like Stan was saying, you've got this sort of gold dust or you've got this stuff that people want to draw from you. But actually, unless you're sort of replenishing that, then your value to them you know, I think is lost, you know, and is not as powerful as it is in, on the sort of the early times when you go in, when they're very receptive and you, 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 in a way, you're trying to tease out from each other what the relationship is. And you can perhaps be a little bit more direct because you haven't got, well, it may be that you can be more direct and you've got a very strong relationship. But for me, the issue is around in multi-academy trusts, this sort of development of expertise on per- people on permanent contracts who are like the primary curriculum leader on a permanent contract and i'm thinking 
I'm really worried about that approach because for me, that having people on permanent contracts, you know, actually that it's I think your returns are getting smaller, getting fewer uh, as as they are in their job longer. So I think for me, it's around at a time of uh, of tight budgets. There's a, a a debate to be had as to whether or not big, heavy, central sort of control with permanent people is more is is it better to have people like yourselves popping coming in perhaps for a year or whatever going away you know then coming back again a few years later and just sort of churning it like that as opposed to having rigid structured posts with people in in there um i fully agree with that i think yeah you've you've got a certain length i think where you can have that impact and and then they need to hear different voices and they need different ideas but I know, again, something Brendan and I talked about when I was ahead, I, I used to have very much of an approach that I do things in two or three year cycles, you know, and and and, and say, this is our, where we're going to go for the next two years. And then we reevaluate it. And, and the school could go in a very different direction at that point and, 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 you know, want to create a different, not necessarily a different culture, but a different emphasis and a different drive. Uh, and we'd have to look then at what was needed to create that. We, you don't want to get that continuous cycle of just doing the same yeah. and just trying to improve on the same. I think there's got to be that change because that's what freshens people up again, mm. and that's what does maintain that enthusiasm and momentum. Yeah. Brin, Brin, the advantage, Frank, is if, you, if you're if buying in from – and I have to declare an interest here – but if you're buying <laughs> in people from an organisation that, that the people see many schools, not just your school – or not just your few schools, that that's, that's yeah. a very different approach. If you can say, well, I've been in four schools in the last month and they're doing A, B, C and D, you know, why don't you look at what they're doing? That's much stronger than I've only been in the schools that we all know and we all work together. Yeah, yeah. Just I mean, I'm, ideas I'm, are. Yeah, I think also I'm interested in Bryn, just bring you in here. I mean, in terms of that that the the move and learn approach that you take with schools i mean it, is there a set period where you they're red hot and they go for it and then it tails off and you know uh and, and another project or another idea comes forward you know how, how do you sort of manage to ensure that that sort of philosophy is maintained beyond the initial excitement you know um so that in two years time they're still doing it you know yeah it's it um Alan mentioned culture there. I mean, like behavioural change and cultural change takes time. So you've got to like listen to the school and think about, you know, what what are the capabilities of the teachers and the school to move things forward? What opportunities to give them? What about their own personal motivations? It's a case of looking at those three elements and just going back and revisiting. And quite often you'll find that there's a, a particular teacher or better still a team of teachers who then take the message forward. And it does come back to, when I was saying about the act of madrasas, people will trust the messenger before they'll trust the message. Right. And yes. I think if you get on board, you know, not necessarily newly qualified teachers or ECTs, but getting middle leaders on board so that they become the driving force within the school. But then it, again, giving them chances to like, Alan's already said this about reflection, mm. you know, a chance to genuinely like, mm talk to the children, utilise pupil voice toolkits and work out what's working for the children. I know, you know, people look at evidence and research and they, they look at the Education Endowment Fund and they look at this, but quite often the evidence is skewed in the favour of whatever. 
Yeah. And sometimes you need, you don't need to measure. You just need to look. Mm -hmm. And by looking, I mean like talking to the children, watching the children and thinking about, you know, what genuine impact is this strategy or this intervention having on the, on the children? You don't want it to be the drive the whole time either. I mean, that's the key thing, you know, bring in sort of the active learning approach. Um, or I see the same. I mean, Aorus is a big drive at the moment in a lot of schools. You you want to bring that in as a drive, but then you want it to just become embedded within what you do, within yeah. everybody's pedagogy, and that they just use it. And they're not even thinking about it, really. Yeah. It's just yeah. happening. And that's when, you know, ultimately, that's what Brim wants to get to um, and what the active move and learning is about. Is, is just That just becomes every day in the classroom and, and what you do. Yeah. I think sometimes when we look at the subtitle of the, the book in terms of like, embedding physically activity of embedding physically active learning into the classroom it should just be part and parcel of what's good teaching mm. what's amazing learning it shouldn't be something separate i mean you know life's not binary between there and there there's quite a lot of like in between us <laughs> that's and i'm not that's... saying that we need to sit down all the time or stand yeah. up and have fun and whatever all the time it's just a case of like blending and mixing and matching yeah, I think that's that's been the philosophy of this chat, to be honest. I think that's where we're on the common <laughs> ground, isn't it, Stan? I mean, we always go back to, you know, we shouldn't be here and we shouldn't be here. You know, there's, we should be aware of what's over here and what's over here. Mm. But the safe place for us all professionally, and I think for the children, it's less risky, is somewhere here. Yeah. You know, somewhere here. Okay, Stan, what's caught your eye this week? Well, I think this this fits into uh, to what we've been saying. It's uh, James Timpson, the owner of uh, Timpson Shops, uh, and he was interviewed on Channel 4 about his upside-down management. And basically, his upside-down management is saying, instead of an organisation where the people at the top tell everybody down the system what they must do and how they must do it, he starts at the bottom... And the people who who run the shops are completely allowed to do what they want. There are two rules: one, you've got to dress appropriately; you've got, as he said, you've got to look the part; and secondly, you've got to put the money in the till. Beyond that, the way you operate and the way you work and whether you give discounts, whether you order the right stuff, is all down to you. And he says he measures it by how happy they are. And what he's found was. In his shops where the the shop people are happiest, they're the ones that make the most money. So he's he's reversed the idea of chasing the money, and now he's chasing happiness amongst his staff, uh, and he measures how happy they are rather than how much money they're making because he knows the happier he can make them, the more money they will make for Timpsons. And it's just it's just a lovely philosophy, and he obviously lives it as well because I know he. He does a lot for um, ex-prisoners, doesn't he? Yeah. He, he yeah. takes takes that. But I just think, just to think a little bit differently about about the structure of an organisation, it must be a big organisation because there are Timpsons shops everywhere. One of the first questions I ask when I go to a school, I did this yesterday, you know, what's your churn like? Hmm. You know, ha- have you got a lot of staff leaving? Or have you got a fairly stable staff? Not not completely. Everybody's in post. No one's moving. You know, and the head yesterday was saying, "Well, I can't find a maths teacher for love nor money." You know, uh, and music is a problem. Um, but he was saying that no, I, I don't have you know an exodus of staff. When you speak to staff, you say, I, I was talking to a, a very senior leader in that school and said, "Well, why do you stay?" 
and he said well I'll stay because I like the I like the community I like the head a lot um, because he, he tells me this is your job get on with it mm. and if you've got a problem come and tell me about it he's not on my back all the time about the delivery of it you know um and in well, a way happiness is something though Frank I mean how many times when you were ahead was staff actually laughing and joking mm. with each other in break times and lunch? I think that's a real indicator of the culture of an organisation mm. because, I mean, I, I know it was a long time ago, but I used to say that some part of every day the staff are together and are laughing, and that was what kept me in the job because yeah. I thought that's what we were about. And the results in the school were very good. Brilliant. I'm just thinking about this, the, the schools today, I'm, and I'm, I'm focusing on the schools this week because they're fresh they're in my in mind. <laughs> so it was five schools over three days, and there were like 27 sessions during the school day and then after school CPD sessions. But in each of those sessions, what I saw were teachers with high expectations, but a gorgeous rapport with the yeah, children. Yeah. And the use of humour, and they knew those children inside out. So it was just like a joy to see and then talking to the teachers. And, and London's different in terms of like their recruitment might incorporate teachers from Australia yeah, or South yeah. Africa or wherever. And then these teachers would work in one school for a while and slip over to another school where the demand was. But it was genuinely a case of like, wow, yeah. this works. Mm. Yeah, I just wonder if there's a correlation between a happy staff and school performance. And it'd be interesting if somebody could find a way of, of researching. Uh, Alan, Alan's brain's ticking over there, isn't it? Yeah, well, I know. I mean, I'm, I, I think it relates in a lot of ways. I think, you know, going back to one thing you said there about letting them run the shop how they want. I think as a teacher, that's what I always said is, you know, let me let me teach how I want to teach. If I don't get the results, then yes. hold yeah. me to account. Uh, and as a head, I kind of had that approach with staff. We're not going to dictate the pedagogy in your classroom and how you have to do things unless yes you're not getting the outcomes and then they'll have to be but, but that's a scaffolding approach then though alan isn't it that Absolutely. You say, well we know that this this approach has worked mm. in other settings or in this school even with teachers in you know your position let's go down that route as a step back to move forward yeah and you want the children to experience different mm. experiences as well you want them to see different styles i think if i'm being devil's advocate i think what what some heads might say to you at this point stan is they but he hasn't got somebody looking over his shoulder. Yes. You know, he hasn't got Ofsted telling him, well, no, that's he's, okay, he's you're not. still being happy. But um, we, I, I'm I not disagreeing we, with you by any chance. I'm just yeah. saying what, what somebody yeah, yeah. said. I think we create the ghost that's looking after, over our shoulder. I really do. I think it's, in some cases, it, it's um, an imaginary monster that's driving us. Uh, I, talked to, I spoke to a head just recently who's coming up to an inspection. He's in the zone now. And he said 90% of what I'm doing is for Ofsted. And if it wasn't for that one word judgment, I wouldn't be doing any of it. Mm. And th this is somebody who's a very, very good head. Mm. And he, he was analysing just how much work in a, in a day he was doing to prepare for Ofsted. And so say, that does impact, that does impact because that, that pressure that he feels from that, he will, it will spill over. Not intentionally, but it must yeah. pass on. It must. Yeah. And, and when yeah. you talk about that happiness, that's got to have an impact, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, but I think there is that. Yeah, I, I, that I, heads I would give you. I, I agree. And, and 
Mm. You know, I, as I said before, half in jest, but whenever I work with heads about doing some innovation, it was always, yeah, we'll do it, but what, let's wait till Ofsted have been, because you know, and then we'll do our innovation, then we'll change our curriculum, then we'll do some active learning. But and until they've been, let's just let's just stay safe. Well, let's move off, uh, James Timpson. Um, should we, where should we go now, Alan? What's caught your eye this week? Well, I'm going to go for one, if you don't mind, that caught my ear, oh, yeah. um, which is slightly different. So I was listening to Five Live on Monday morning, um, about 20 past seven, and they, they were running an article on there. It was somebody from the Institute for Envi- uh, Employment Studies talking about should employees take some responsibility for supporting their employees with weight management to try and help reduce the obesity um, across society? And what role can the workplace play on that? And and on all that, that's a discussion in itself, and and something we you know we might get into a little bit. I was sat there thinking, if I was a head teacher this morning, just driving up to the school gate, and I'd just be thinking, is this something else I'm going to have to make myself a, an expert in very very quickly, so that I can start advising staff on on how to manage their weight and how am I going to have those conversations? Um, and I just thought again. I, these things, things that happen, they get brought in and universally looked at in terms of um, employment and, and employment law and things. But in a school, it tends to fall on one person to do that. And going back to what we said earlier about ed teachers and, and, and the, them being able to manage their workload and stress levels at the moment, I thought that just that threw another spanner in there. Mm. What happens if the head's the person who's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, that was brought up by one of the people, because obviously people were able to contribute that. And they said, you know, it's that message, isn't it, that comes to you and who's giving that message as well. And I think, yeah, uh, I mean, there's, there's a whole host of things around. And I don't disagree. I mean, it fits in a lot with the Resolution Foundation reports that they've done around health and well-being in the workplace. And there is nothing wrong with considering that. And I'm not against mm-hmm. that approach. And, and we should be looking at how do our workplaces impact on our health and well-being and how do our roles and, and, yeah. and what we're expecting you know we're talking about giving children opportunities to move and learn and do we make sure that's an that's opportunity for, a, yeah. for everybody yeah. else as well right. or are we confining yeah. them um but it, it, it was yeah it's just that impact on who's going to do it um and you know i work with a lot of schools in this area we've got very small as you will in some of your areas phillies primary schools with one head teacher and four staff and you know, the, the, the demands on that person or that individual to manage all this. You know, I look back to things when like GDPR came in and, and you know, that was never designed to, for schools, but the impact that has had on school leaders just to manage that alone. Uh, and it's just another one of those things. So, yeah, that's, that's what uh, caught my wow. ear. Bryn, what about you? I'm just thinking about what you said about obesity and everything else. I'm reading a book at the moment by Chris Van Tullican, and it's called Ultra Processed People. And it's just the fact that all this money has been made by the food industry, the the sugar industry, et cetera. And it's it's scary. It really is. You know, I used to think it would be about physical activity that would bring down obesity levels and uh, and think in terms of the impact in terms of NHS spending on obesity and obesity related illness. And again, it comes down to not necessarily the activity levels, but it's about what we put inside our bodies all the time. And it's just so easy to reach for that biscuit on the yes. staff room table. Yeah, when yeah. Really what we could have done is something different. But behavioural change takes time. Yeah. So, so what's caught your eye this week then, Bryn? Oh, well, as I say, three days down in London, I've become a bit of an Alan Partridge uh, 
persona sitting in there in my <laughs> B&B. So I get drawn into various Twitter spats and conversations. It was the one about um, uh, attendance and school holidays. Mm. And like where I live in Wakefield, we live right next door to the uh, the, the local grammar school. And, um, you know, they yes, they're there a little bit earlier. And yes, they're there a little bit later every day because I can see the big black four-wheel drives, et cetera, et cetera. And then you see on the school fields and you see the kids taking part in PE, sport. They even have golf lessons during curriculum time. But it's the fact that they finish school a whole week earlier so they can access all these cheap holidays. And yeah, so maybe it's just the disparity between state and independent schools that's yeah. caught my eye in terms of like the injustice, maybe not, the, certainly the in, the the imbalance. Yeah. 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 I, I do think it's the typical approach from any government that the answer to this is to fine people more mm. when, you know... <laughs> If you're finding somebody sixty pounds and it's having no difference whatsoever, oh. finding them eighty isn't going to make any difference at all, and you end up finding the wrong people mm. because those that are wealthy enough not to not to bother about it just add it onto the cost of the holiday, and those that have real problems getting the children into school probably are the same people who haven't got the money in the first place. So it just it, it's about motivation. We've got to have kids motivated to go to school, not not threatened if they don't go. There's a very different approach, I think, needed. We, yeah. we know that, Stan, don't we, from working in school. When you you know you look at behaviour management in school, it, it's about the, the, the environment, it's about the culture, it's about the positivity. Relationships. That, and relationships. Yeah. That's what has an impact on behaviour, not, you know, sanctions and, 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 and exclusion, yeah. things like that. That doesn't change it. That just hides it under a carpet. Increasing a fine by twenty pound, as you say, the only people it's going to hurt are the, are the ones that we don't want it to hurt. Who you know, it's it's the wrong way. It's the wrong way of doing things. It's just a an easy thing to throw out there and say we're, we're doing this big gesture. But no one in schools, I, I can't imagine there's many people in schools who think that that is going to make any difference whatsoever. I think also there was somebody from the DFE on um, uh, BBC Radio yesterday trying to defend it and saying, well. Six weeks is long enough for you to get away for your two-week holiday if you want it. But actually, I don't know if any of you have worked in a sort of fairly large organisation you know, where everybody wants to take the same period of time. You know, there is a limit. It's not six weeks if you've got kids in year 11. You've got to be back for exam uh, for results Ooh. day. You know, and, and it's not the same if actually everybody in your team has got children of primary school age where you want the same weeks. And that means that yeah, at times you can't take it. You know, the, the company will not allow you to have the time off in the six or five week holiday period. You know, what do you do then? And, and there's also, I mean, I know everyone cites this, but it is a genuine issue about the price. Uh, somebody put, posted two different prices on the centre parks one week before uh, school holidays, one week during, and it was a thousand pounds difference. Mm. Mm. And so, you know, it, for a family who wants to take the kids on holiday, a thousand pounds difference for the sake of a week, when I'm sure people would argue last week of term, did they do that much work then? Did they? <laughs> All that. And I, I do think there's a lot. I understand the inconvenience to school, but I think, I, I do think it, that's a little bit overplayed. 
because it's like to say a child who joins your school can never succeed because they've not been to all the lessons that you've been on and not built on, blah, blah, blah. And you just respond to that by finding out what the child knows and building on from there. So it's it's possible. It's inconvenient. It's probably annoying, but it's not the end of the world. And it's certainly, in my view, not the end of a, of a child's education because they've missed two weeks when they've actually been on safari and, and found out far more, <laughs> learned far more than they would have done in school that week anyway. Well, my what's caught my eye links into this because the government has announced um, they've appointed an attendance ambassador, which is... Uh, Paul Tarn, the CEO of Northern Education Trust. And uh, I, I offer this um, primarily as a sort of good governance point. Um, I may be wrong, but I'm not sure. I, I don't remember there being a big national uh, campaign advertising that role um, where actually people could apply for it. And those working in sort of not just in the academies, but in maintained schools, local authorities, whoever it may be, could actually put their sem- themselves forward. And I just feel as though you know, this sort of lack of openness and transparency around some of these sort of czar-like posts is, is I think, deeply worrying because at the end of the day, uh, people like me go sniffing around uh, the data, the national school data, and just do quick reviews of Northern Education Trust to see what their rates of suspensions and exclusions are. And in a way, I would expect somebody in that position to be you know, really somebody who actually is working in a very challenging community, has turned the community around, has exceptionally high levels of uh, attendance, and actually draw out from that what the, the, the good messages are. There's, no, there's nothing hidden. You know, that in effect, there's a really positive story to tell here. And, and it may well be with Northern Education Trust, but there is just some concern for me around some of that data, which puts that seed of doubt in my mind. And that, that's not that's not the sort of thing you need when you're trying to be the, the 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 country's ambassador on attendance. You know, you need to be, I think, whiter than white in order to to demonstrate to this sector that you know I, I'm credible here. You know, um, there's just too many sort of things in that cupboard for me. So I would like to see much more openness by the government, whichever government it is, around these posts and they're given to people who apply, they're interviewed for it. We know the process and it's very transparent. Um, it doesn't appear to be the case for this post. And that, that to me is a mistake. Um, I wish Paul Tarn all the best you know, with the work that he's, he's got to do. Um, but so there's some story, there's a message here for how we appoint these people. Yeah. Uh, just thinking back to, to the COVID recovery plan that Sir Kevin Collins put forward and then that was chucked out the window based around finance. Was it a case of somebody <laughs> could make money on the back of that? I don't know. Um, that's me being old and cynical, by the way. Um, but these questions, you're right, they need to be asked. And, you know, we, we, we need to look in terms of like that accountability and honesty and authenticity. And when we look at the uh, the media or certain sections, it's not there. No, no. It should be. If we're going to be the, the role models for the children as teachers or TAs or whatever, we need to have those role models with us, whether or not they're within mm. government or with the, the, the multi-category trust setups. Um, and I could tell anecdotes and stories about different academy trusts 
some good, some bad, some ugly, um, but n- not for now. But we, we oh. know these things go on. Mm. And it's a case of how do we call them out in a in a correct way? Or how mm. do we ask questions? How do we get people to ask more questions? I, I, I think we're in a position at the moment, and, and it goes back to something that I, I heard from a former education secretary who said that, you know, when when Michael Gove and Cummings were running, the idea was to smash it, smash the existing um But what they hadn't done at that time is come up with a plan for what it would look like after it had been smashed. And now we've got so many independent trusts mm. um, that... It, it's difficult to manage. So it's as if now the next step is to try and pull these together into some kind of geographic. And if we're not careful, we'll just reinvent local authorities in a, in a different way, uh, maybe in a in a for-profit way. I don't know. I know that was part of the thinking when they, they smashed the system, that they would be able to bring in um, for-profit schools. So maybe that's still on the on the back burner somewhere. But I think it's very difficult to manage a whole system when when you haven't got your fingers on what's going on. I, I, I read the figure and I can't remember it of how many trusts there are at the moment. I found this on the web. Um, oh. Sorry, that was my <laughs> watch trying to answer the question for me. Trying to answer your question. Well, I know I know Stan in Suffolk. I think we've got over forty um, yeah. academy trusts just within the county. So um, just, to and, bring, and... just to bring the leaders of those together to talk absolutely. About is virtually impossible. Well, that, that's yeah. the job I had in Blackpool. And, and actually, it was really difficult. We, and we had only eight secondary schools. We, the, the most challenging group was were the CEOs, not the head teachers. Um, and uh, it wasn't in my time, but um, a call out to the colleague who did that um, uh, before me. But she, it, was t- it was sticky. You know, um, CEOs took that role on thinking they had freedom, you know, and actually... What Blackpool was saying was, well, actually, there is an industrial as a regeneration strategy for the town. You've got schools in the town. Why aren't you contributing to the regeneration strategy? You know, you've and you've got to do that by doing certain things, which you yourself may not want to do in any other school. And they were saying, well, we don't do that in any other school. Why do we have to do it in Blackpool? Well, you have to do it in Blackpool because you're in Blackpool and it's regenerating Blackpool. You know, so I, I think it it, it is. Um, I mean, we. It's probably for next week, but there was also a case, wasn't there, about the ARC Academy Trust this week, who one of its trustees, uh, they've taken the tweets down now, but were were um, supporting or, or liking, you know, fairly sort of right-wing tweets made by others. And, and actually there is a sort of, in football, we have a fit and proper uh, test, you know, uh, which is challenged a lot, but at least they have it. We don't have that in in the marty academy trust world you know and literally anybody can be a trustee or, or a member you know and and it goes you know to a certain extent the same happens with governors you know so in a way there's no fit and proper test that we use um there are the nolan principles but actually you know there's way as the, as this government has found there are ways around that Mm. Yeah, so I, I do think that's this is the next for me the next focus the, the the next move is to look very carefully at who who are managing who's overseeing the schools that are no longer under local authority control as well as those that are under local authority control because local authorities haven't got the resources to do all that sort of stuff the way that they used to in the past 
And to be fair, not all local authorities were successful in the first place. Uh, well, I, I, part, I of the, uh, part of the problem in the first instance. Yeah, I have to say some of the worst school uh, improvement oversight was when we were doing local authority inspections. They absolutely had no idea what was going on. So, yeah, perhaps for next week. Can I can I uh, just say, uh, finally, uh, it's uh, our eldest daughter's big birthday today. So I just wish, want to wish Rebecca a very happy birthday. Uh, and we'll be all around to, we're into Amici's restaurant tonight in Bramall. So uh, the crowd will be there. So uh, happy birthday, Rebecca. Um, can I ask how old will Rebecca be? Uh, it's a very special birthday. I think I can tell you because she, she looks 25, but she's 40. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Um, I'm not sure whether that call out was about his daughter's birthday or to get a discount at the restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) As Bryn says, so few sales from the sale of his daughter from the uh, watching the show. It's unlikely to reach that. It's more likely to put the price up. (laughs) Can I can I just come back very quickly to what you said about like Timpson and this ground up thing? I think sometimes we've got to go back to why we get into teaching in the first place. It's about Mm. the children. And sometimes like watching, say, the, the play leaders or the, the move and learn champions, ambassadors, whatever you want to call them, watching older children working with younger children. And you're sometimes watching like, how the, did you do that? Did you've got the kids, these younger kids in the palm of your hand and you're like facilitating the learning. And I know like, you know, when you think in terms of like the lack of time, lack of resources. I do think that it comes back to the children are probably the most unused, untapped resource that we have within schools in terms of looking at ways that they can help younger children, whether or not it's related to phonics or maths or whatever, or even just like playing, having fun. And I do think there's a there are a lot of examples out there and sometimes it's easy to get bogged down with the, the negativity on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. But you come back and then you look at the children, you think, you know what? You know, there is a little bit of hope. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned before in, in America where we saw at uh, the end of every lesson, there was a 10 minute session where the children sat in groups and talked about the lesson. And it was and when I talked to one of the, the, the students there and said, you know, well, what, what was all that about? And, and she said, well, I understand now the lesson because these people talk the way I understand it and the teacher didn't necessarily. So that 10 minutes has, has made it for me. I now understand what we're talking about. And I thought it was a really powerful use of students in the classroom for 10 minutes just to say, right, your job now is to talk about the lesson we've just had amongst yourselves. It's like reflecting at the end of a course, but if you're running a course and you say, now we're going to have 15 minutes of reflection, everyone thinks you've run out of ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I know we don't don't have gone too long. I know Frank, you want to pull it together, but we we talked about reflection right at the beginning, didn't we? About that time for reflection, the importance of that at all levels, you know, from, from whether you're talking about it from bottom up, I never like to look at it as a hierarchy, but every member of that every stakeholder within there giving them that time to reflect and say what are we doing well and I, it's funny i've changed when my approach when i go into schools now i used to start off with a little five minutes of what's what's on your mind at the moment what are your concerns in case we need to discuss them and i've started now with tell me about your successes hmm. so and head teachers really struggle i used to do the same thing and i would guarantee that before the sentence had finished, they'd say, but, 
I would say, but so I think all of us visit schools regularly. I think we're all impressed by the quality of the experience that you know the effort everyone's putting into it. You know, we hear a lot of you hear a lot of stuff, don't you, as you were saying. But actually, you know, I, I invariably leave schools feeling positive and upbeat about you know the future and uh, in awe of you know the talent that there is particularly within the teaching staff there you know um, well, so it's, it's a privilege and it's, it's it's inspiring every day to go into different schools and see what people are doing and everybody needs prayers for for what they're they're, they're doing for our children and, and what the children are doing as well because it's brilliant yeah. they're, they're the key to it all and, and they're fantastic yeah and when you have those meetings with the school leaders i always do in terms of Let's walk and talk. Let's show me your school. So celebrate. So we're not sitting down. And then you see, and the teachers, the school leaders, they can actually look back and think, you know what? I've done a lot. <laughs> but you need to walk and you need to see it to get it. Yeah. I've noticed sometimes with a, a spreadsheet in front of you, you can look at the numbers, you can look at the data, but sometimes you just need to, you need to look. Yeah. So I've noticed a massive difference when you do that walk and talk what head teachers take you to see because when i started as an advisor it was always either the toilets or the block with that it was always something physical in the building that they'd had done it was never look at the learning that's going on here yeah. Look at, yeah. now it's different now they talk about what's going on in in the classrooms now they talk about what the children are doing but it used to be Oh, let me take you to the boys' toilets. Oh, I'm not sure that's what I really want to do. Uh, right, well, uh, we'll bring it to a close because actually we've been on for nearly 45 minutes. So we normally just do about 30. So it's been a great chat this morning. Thank you both, yeah. gents, for joining us. Love, love okay. to have you back. If we're still running this chat, love to have you back <laughs> in 2025 for the third occasion. But uh, to everybody else, uh, have a good week, everyone. And uh, hopefully all being well, we'll see you next Friday. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye now.